Now, during my time in Suva, I caught up with a few other Fijian scientists working there, including one who has a fascinating and varied role, supporting projects and capacity building in wildlife management, conservation, controlling invasive species, aquaculture, and even finding species hidden in Fiji's treetops. It is nocturnal and it lives about two to three hundred meters high up in, in trees. They have a number of adaptations for living very high up. If you're going to be perching on branches about 200 meters up in the air, you need very large toe pads to be able to hold on to what it is that you're sitting on. So my name's Manal Lal. I'm a scientific researcher. I live and work in Suva in Fiji, and we're sitting in the Thurston Gardens at the moment which is one of Fiji's botanical gardens. Dr Manal Lal works for the University of the Sunshine Coast in Queensland and studied in Australia, but he lives here in Suva. Within his role, he does a range of work funded by the Australian Centre for International Agricultural Research, or ACR, across the Pacific region. And a big focus for ACR is also building capacity among emerging scientists in Fiji and beyond. So he's bounced between projects and countries, supporting researchers and communities. I met him at Suva's Thurston Gardens, the lush botanical gardens of Fiji. With screeching flying foxes and bats in the trees around us, he pops open a laptop to give me an impromptu slideshow tour of some of the projects he's involved in, starting with that treetop dweller. So this is the Fiji giant tree gecko. In Fijian, it's called uh, Mokokambi. This is a species which we think is endemic to Fiji, and as far as we know is the largest gecko in its genus. Just looking at this picture that you pulled up here for me, it is the size of your forearm, it's yeah. pretty big. Yeah, so, so this animal is quite special. Um, they're generally a lot more stout-bodied compared to your average house gecko. They also have an interesting vocalization. They sound uh, a little bit like chickens. So field work to study this animal was a lot of fun. You had to get into the forest at about 10 p.m. and you, you walk around spotlighting with a flashlight uh, trying to find one. You're often quite lucky if you can actually see one uh, from the ground and then someone's got to have the job of climbing the tree in pitch black to try and, and grab it. I enjoyed it. Some of my field team members didn't uh, enjoy it so much, but uh, it was yeah an interesting experience. The reason that this animal is important is that we know very little about it. We know that it has an important ecological role as an insect predator, but apart from that, because of how cryptic it is and difficult to access, we know very little. And I guess this is the case for a lot of our indigenous or endemic and even native plants and animals in Fiji. They've been quite poorly researched, so we really don't have a lot of baseline information on where they live, what they eat, and all of these other sort of very basic bits of information that we need to understand in order to, to start conservation measures. In order to do this, we thought we'd attempt uh, captive breeding. At this point, a local kid wanders over to see what we're doing and asks if he can watch the slideshow of creatures. It's pretty cute, so we welcome him over. So I'm from the ABC in Australia. What was your name? David. <laughs> David. So this is Manal, and he's showing me some work he's done with some geckos that live here in Fiji. You're welcome to watch if you want. <laughs> so with our audience settled in, 
Dr Lal pulls up some more pictures of the creatures he's worked with. He explains to us both that the first step towards protecting species like this tree gecko is better understanding them. The next slide shows you a couple of eggs that we were able to produce with the animals that we had in captivity. So these look more like the geckos uh, an Australian might be familiar with, about the size of a thumb. What these are is actually the hatchlings that came out of these eggs. So they pop out of the egg and they're about five centimetres long. And so these images are the first that we've seen of both eggs and hatchlings for this species. So this was quite an achievement. We're, we're still writing this work up. So once we have it all published and, and written up, hopefully they can use this information to aid in conservation of this iconic Fijian reptile. So let's have a look at some of the other work you've been involved in here then. So this is another project that we're writing up at the moment, and it revolves around this tiny little freshwater leech, which is known to be invasive in, in a couple of different parts of the world. So this is really a small animal. Uh, it's about the size of a grain of rice. It parasitizes freshwater fish, snails, insects. He tells me invasive species are a big problem for Pacific nations. Often endemic creatures on isolated islands haven't had to develop strategies to deal with pests, predators or other threats. So when they find a foothold in new environments, he says it's important to understand what sorts of impacts they might have. It was first discovered in 2015 in this part of Fiji, in the province of Mba. And it was just an accidental discovery. So a couple of colleagues were out there doing surveys of freshwater um, invertebrates. So they were looking at how many different snails we have, different fish species, characterizing sort of the stream vegetation, things like that. And they found a couple of individuals crawling up their leg and sticking to their socks. And so... The best way to discover something, just stand in the water and let them climb all over you. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, they brought a couple of specimens back uh, because it didn't look anything like any of the native leeches that we have. So we did a little bit of molecular barcoding work. So we basically took a few, crushed them up, extracted DNA, and we sent that off for sequencing to try and figure out what it was. Turns out it was this species. Now that we have confirmed presence, we have a National Invasives Task Force, which is a, a group of scientists, and they can hopefully take the data that we have and use it to decide if it is invasive in Fiji, where it might spread to, and, and how to potentially manage it as well. Another big part of Dr Manal Lal's work is understanding how best to support farmers and producers, especially in aquaculture, a vital food and export industry for Fiji. And he's recently assisted with a project doing a so-called genetic audit of sea cucumbers. So this specific species is known as sandfish or ndairo in, in Fijian. Here in Fiji, we've had roughly a 50-year history of exploitation of this species. And unfortunately, there is a tendency to easily over-harvest them. So the next project is looking at a number of aspects uh, for sandfish in Fiji. One of these is to do what's called a genetic audit to figure out how healthy populations are in Fiji and what levels of genetic diversity may still be remaining. A big part of this project is understanding where wild sea cucumbers live and spread in the region, and how various populations move across the Pacific Ocean when their eggs are released on ocean currents. He says understanding this genetic diversity and movement will be vital to keep sea cucumber populations healthy and resilient, and could also be used to inform sustainable farming and harvesting practices. 
One final project he shows me is one of his own. It applies these same techniques, understanding genetic diversity and population movement, to another sea creature. So the next project is the black-lipped pearl oyster. What's the um, Fijian name for these? So this one's called Viva. Yeah, C-I-V-A. A pretty important one here in Fiji, right? Yeah. So in terms of value, it's actually the most valuable aquaculture commodity that Fiji has. Maybe 70 or 80% of the pearls that are produced by this oyster are black. But in Fiji, because we have such high genetic variability in our Fijian black lip pearl oysters, Fijian farmers are actually able to produce coloured pearls of different shapes and sizes as well. The picture you brought up here on our impromptu slideshow is showing a, a wide variety of different coloured pearls. And there's some really interesting colours. There's a purple, there's a kind of lightish tealy blue, there's some greenish colours in there, sort of yellowy as well. Yep, yep. They have um, interesting trade names, so things like pistachio and aubergine and, uh, you know, for the purple ones, for example. So lots of genetic variability in Fijian black-lipped pearl oysters. Like the Sea Cucumber Project, this work has been mapping the movement of various populations of these oysters' eggs on ocean currents around Fiji and between neighbouring nations. A visualisation he pulls up on the laptop shows swirling colourful patterns representing different populations of the oysters drifting on a complex system of currents throughout the ocean. Female black-lip oysters can produce a fantastic number of eggs, so between 30 to 40 million, depending on the size of the animal. And these eggs take about 25 to maybe 28 days to develop once they're spawned. And during development, they just sort of drift in the upper maybe 20, 30 metres of the ocean before they decide, okay, I'm done developing, I need to see if I can smell a reef nearby, and then I'll drop out of the plankton and settle onto a reef. So for this study, we collected samples from French Polynesia, the Cook Islands, Tonga, Fiji, the Great Barrier Reef, the Abrolhos Islands in Western Australia, Solomon Islands, a caving in PNG, Indonesia, Vietnam, as well as Pengu Island in Taiwan. And so we put all of these, these sites into the model to try and see what dispersal might look like. He says understanding the genetic diversity of this species and where various populations move and mix could be useful in many ways. First, it could shed light on which populations are best suited to which environmental conditions. Second, it would give aquaculture farmers more information about their stock of oysters, whether they've become inbred, whether their productivity could be improved by crossbreeding with other populations. And finally, it could help the industry preserve the existing genetic diversity of oysters in the wild, keeping the species more resilient, healthy and adaptable. So, he says this kind of work has the potential to support growers, communities, economies and ecosystems across the region. One of the concerns that you always have, whether it be pearls or or meat, let's say, in the case of a fish, you want them to be healthy so that you have maximum productivity. Quite often, community livelihoods are tied to how productive your farm stock potentially is or, or could be. And so before you can ensure that your farm stocks are healthy, you need to understand as a bit of a baseline how healthy wild individuals or wild relatives can potentially be. And just finally, um, what's it been like for you? Coming from Fiji, working over in Australia for some time, and then coming back here and applying your knowledge and expertise to these projects that are helping various industries across the country here. 
Yeah, no, it's it's been rewarding. There's a sense of being able to contribute to not only development of certain industries or commodities in your home country, but also impacting the livelihoods of a range of different people. It's just been a great experience. Well, I th- I've really enjoyed seeing a snapshot of some of the work that you've done here. I'm sure our impromptu audience here in David is, is pretty enthused as well because they've stuck around for the whole interview, which is wonderful. Yes. Dr. Manal, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. Thank you. Dr. Manal Lal is a postdoctoral research fellow at the University of the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, and he's based in Suva.